thus far in our war, we have faced many difficult obstacles through a couple of momentous and consequential battles. The beginning of any project is always difficult. It's always getting off the ground, which can be the largest challenge, because once we have inertia, as it is with anything in life, um, that inertia itself can keep us going, but it's generating that inertia, making the movement itself which is a hard thing to do. But with this chapter in our war, we have come to a juncture where that momentum, that inertia has been gained and it is unstoppable. If we've been able to grasp uh, what has been said thus far about our sickness of consciousness, um, our conceptualized the, the need for war, which, which lies in our conceptualized uh, consciousness, mind frame, way of being, what conception is, then moving on to the prime example of linguistics, and then into beliefs and then into systems. This whole section is for systems and what systems are. Um, but it is still, or it has still been up to this point, more or less an introductory as to what our project is. We've stated ad nauseum the importance. We've overstated, maybe even, why it is that we are going about things the way we are. But that redundancy has to some degree been necessary. As we said in the chapter on systemization, we need to fortify our gains in order to hold them. 
And these first five or six chapters from sickness to systems have been extremely important fortifications. We really need to grab a hold of what those are, what those chapters are about. Because within each of them, represent, we, we, there's a little portion, a representative of everything that is to come ahead of us. Because now we have that generated energy. Now we have enough for a movement. Now we have what it is that we sought to generate in the first place. And that is the support and understanding. The support of our the better angels of our consciousness and of ourselves and the understanding that what we are up against is or really the understanding of what we are up against and what that is because from here on out we are going very much to play off of that understanding and that momentum that we've already generated, that we've already captured and taken hold of. And now we have to work and move along with that. It's time to stop with the Maybe not so much with the explanation, but it's time to start really moving forward, really making some significant gains. Because after all, this is a war, and it is about reclaiming our own conscious territory, our own mind space, our own selves as human beings. And we've got a strong and secure footing. That's for sure. Um, but, and we, we have fortified some very key targets. But now, we really have to use those gains uh, in significant ways, um, which further... our struggle from here on out. Um, so, again, these are, this whole section is on systemization. And through belief and through our chapter on systemization itself, we spoke 
oftentimes in very general ways about the general operations and modes of those systems and of and the beliefs which fuel them or vice versa. But now we're going to talk about the specifics of what is generated. Much in the same way that we equated conceptualization uh, and then use the example of language um, as a tool of conceptualization as an example um, because again and I know <laughs> we said we're not going to do too much reiteration but it, it is will always be necessary to backtrack and, uh, and regurgitate in a very limited way but again, we needed to go with language first because we see how limited language is and we have to understand that the tools with which we're working with are, which is language, which is within language, which is translated to thought or idea or a kind of conceptualization itself if it's not properly dealt with. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to use language to properly access, to properly deal with reality. X, 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 X. X. <laughs> Six X's. Um, so, from there, We had to make sure that uh, we understood the actual applications of some of these things. And now in a similar way, we have to understand or we have to make sure that we are understanding what systemization is, much like we were understanding what conceptualization uh, was, is. And then moving on to language, we're now having to understand what systemization is. And then from there, now moving on to specific examples. And truly from here, our, that generated inertia should really begin to regenerate itself, to be a sort of a turbine or a generator, a, a renewing generator, something that fuels its own self um, with its own importance it would be because of, of the work it's already done. Um, and that doesn't mean that our gains um, in the past are any less significant than our ones in the future. Not at all. Our, our gains in the beginning were, were extremely significant. They're extremely difficult to achieve because we've gone from a place where we weren't even aware of what we were up against to an awareness to beginning to fight back. But again, this, that was really phase one. This is, with this battle, it 
very much signal, uh, signifies phase two. Because now we are putting all of that into, practice, into praxis or practice. And that also is not going to mean that what we're up against in the future is any easier than what we've already dealt with in the past. Because many of these encounters that we are going to have will be very personal to many people. To many people who fight this war. The things that we're up against now are capable of dividing households if they are not properly approached and implemented. People are very attached to these things that we are about to come up against. Many great powers have been forged out of these structures that we are about to encounter. And society has grown up around them, or Western society anyways, has grown up around these things. If systemization is the general mode or being, these things we encounter within the rest of this section are the hands of systemization. And they have formed many things. And many people are nurtured within these things, these schemes, these very specific systems that we're coming up upon. And let it be said at the onset that although we are in a way, at odds with these things that we will encounter. That's not to say that our differences can't be resolved. But these things that we are about to approach, we are approaching and invading and confronting because they have invaded us and it is time for 
change within them, a new approach to them. We don't necessarily look to eradicate them. What we look to do is to evolve them, to guide them through a process, to deconstruct them and rebuild them into maybe not something entirely different, but at least make them over. And realign not only our approach and our dealings with them, but what these things really are. Because what these things really are are so important to our identities as human beings on individual and collective levels alike. But because of that fact, because we do identify with them so greatly, we need to be very careful in how we work with them. Like I said, the point of these engagements is not to throw away these things that we encounter, but to retool them because we are ready for something more. As we've stated all along in our introductory over and over again up to this point, And now, we have to very seriously look at what that something more is. Now, within certain systems, particular ways of being are generated. The particular way of being that we are concerned about here is tradition and culture. Tradition and culture are very beautiful things. And again, our humanity as it is would not be what it is in so many beautiful and awe-inspiring ways without various traditions or cultures. The comprising or comprisement of all of these various modes of human being 
are what generally system or cultures and traditions are. And again, the various customs, ways of being are beautiful and they have all served and continue to serve their purposes admirably um, and with a hint of God's own flavors or hints of God's own flavors because they are varied and within each variance we are allowed or afforded a distinctive approach a distinctive viewpoint and that is something that we should nourish and that we should recognize and cherish and we should be grateful for those differences so with that being said I myself very much enjoy my traditions and my cultures. Again, it, it makes us individuals um, in the larger collective of humanity. And there's nothing wrong with that. To get rid of those things uh, would be a disservice to human being itself. So, without defracking without sucking out culture and tradition we at the same time need to expand it to both recognize the individual intricacies and beauties within them but also to give them a larger birth give them a larger role a wider perspective um, because they are a part of systemization and being a part of systemization they are entrapped within its workings question really becomes how do we unravel culture and tradition uh, or what is culture and tradition first of all how do we unravel it and then how do we put it back together and also why do we need to unravel it or do anything with it in the first place
Um, and maybe we should tackle the last question first, as we were kind of starting to do. Again, culture and traditions are beautiful. They, they define who we are uh, as human beings, so they help to inform who we are as human beings. However, they are also, like anything within systemization, uh, something that we don't all necessarily identify with. Um, cultures and traditions are interesting because much like religion, uh, we often don't choose them. Or if we do choose them, we are chastised because of our option to go against what it was that we were born into. So, what, what we need to see is that cultures, traditions, um, are something that we learn or interact with without having much of a choice. And that's important. <laughs> that's important to see. It's important to know that, to realize that, to really kind of sit with that and understand that a large portion of what's expected of us, who we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to act, is predetermined by the traditions that we're born into. So that's the crux of the problem. Now what are cultures and traditions? Well, cultures are something take cultures first. There's something that a group of people, various people, uh, and <clears throat> they could be specific ethnicities um, or just kind of general ways of being. Uh, we, we normally think of cultures as being locational, um, ethnic in some way or another or some sort of ethnicity. Um, locationally unique. Or they come up because of where they are located. Um, and it's a, a way in which those people tend to behave. They tend to act a certain way. They tend to have similar beliefs. And this is why we've 
decided to attack things or approach things in the ways that we have is because because of <laughs> the fact that cultures come up within a system of belief, within a system of interaction. Um, and the interactions can inform the belief, or the belief can inform the interactions. Um, we see various customs and traditions being carried out often because of uh, that culture's inner uh, um, locational uh, place <laughs> because of their location because of their interaction with the environment um, you know, Eskimos have a different way um, of greeting one another than Native Americans did. Uh, a different way is taken, you know, by the French and the Chinese or the Japanese bow. Europeans kiss each other on the cheeks. Americans shake hands. There's, it's a different way of being, and that different interaction immediately begins to set parameters um, between human beings. It immediately begins to set up the way that we do the business of being human. <clears throat> so, we have to see very clearly that we are informed or we, we are what we are because of the way we interact we are a lot, in large part what we are because of the ways in which we interact with one another and the ways in which we interact with one another are set up by they're societally, societally set up. Um, and so, because of those human interactions, we frame ourselves in very particular ways. Think of how different we would act, or maybe how differently we would perceive our own human situation if when we first interacted we embraced rather than shook hands. It immediately changes that interaction right away. Now, and there's a point that I'd like to maybe get to, well, we can speak of it now, but it's going a little ahead is that in Western society, in American suburbia, we have so segregated ourselves. Uh, we have set ourselves up in such different modes, or such different uh, separate sort of ways of, of being. Because of suburbia, we all have our own little houses, and we're very independent, and 
you know, we greet each other literally at arm's length, you know, that's the closest we get uh, to an initial greeting, um, is arm's length. Um, so, the way cultures are determines the type of product they produce, which is kinds of human beings. And that's why there are stereotypes are generated. Because there are certain cultures and subcultures. And again, so culture is really something that is uh, generated, that, that is a way in which a group of human beings are human. Um, and within that group, they have various traditions um, and various various operating modes so we have to recognize that what cultures produce are this humanity itself but very specific types of humanity, generalized, in, in a general way. Um, but they do this because of the beliefs that they have, the culture that they've cultivated. To cull, I would mean means, I, I would imagine maybe, I will have to look it up, but it probably means to, to make, to churn, to, to drum up. So, cultures are the mode of being human, specific modes of being human that have been passed down generationally or ideologically. That is, and here's the kicker, that is through conception. They've been passed on conceptually. And then that conception creates a culture in and of itself. So, so of course, <laughs> of course it all goes back to conception. So the culture is the thing which creates the human being, and then the human being perpetuates the culture. They are attached. We're attached to how we're brought up, because that's what we know. We know we do what we have learned. Again, because we're innocent. <laughs> we do what we've learned. We see what we've been taught to see. We interact how we've been taught to interact. It's very simple. And often the simplest cultures are the most beautiful because they're often the most open and the most generous. Complicated culture is stricken with intricate belief systems and a web, ideological webs that seem to have no end. Um, and they can be very drab. Um, extremely boring. Very formal. My thesis, and though it might not be a correct one at this point as I'm working it out, is that the more 
tied to conceptualization of culture is, the more difficult that society, the more boring, the more, the less, it's just dynamic it becomes. When attached to ideology, see, this is the beautiful thing about culture, is that it is gorgeous, it is amazing when left free to roam. Look at all the different species of animals there are. Even though, you know, how many types of fox are there? How many types of deer? How many types of jellyfish? Whatever. It goes on and on and on. You know. And then how many types of human beings? Because there are different subsets. And that's what cultures are. They're subsets of the general. So, we need to see that cultures, when they're allowed to interact and be free without conceptualization, or without being too tied to an ideology, that cultures are the most innovative, the most joyful, and the most coercent. Because cultures themselves, when unabated to reality, are what coercence is all about. That is coercence, which is pure interaction with reality. Particular being, particular mode of human being interacting on a generational basis with reality. That's the beautiful part of culture. There, there's culture and it's most glorious. It's most beautiful. It's most authentic. But when culture becomes attached to an ideology, this has happened over and over and over again in society. The Nazis, the fascists, How many empires? How many traditions have wrought havoc on their beautiful people? Too many. Because when a culture is centered around a very particular idea, that culture will have difficulties. Because of their ideolo ideological clingings. Because, again, ideas are dead if they're not dynamic. 
if they're not transformative, if there's something within the idea itself which is not transformative, uh, which is not allowing for direct interaction, direct being with caressence itself, uh, then, uh, of course, again, the idea is stagnant, uh, consuming, it feeds off of those who perpetuate the idea, and it's dead, and it will kill whatever clings to it. Because that's what attachment is. And that's why all the Buddhist monks and all the Eastern traditions, uh, and really it's overlooked in, in the Western traditions as well, um, uh, you know, Christianity and, and its many pillars, that, uh, you know, what is here is fleeting. You know, our, our time here is evolving and changing, and it's a dynamic relationship with reality or the God of old language. So I, culture is based on ideologues um, are doomed. <laughs> Whereas cultures that are based on just the culture itself, just on their particular way of being, their niche within the world, once they've, that's been etched out throughout time and humanity, or throughout humanity's interaction with time and reality itself, then you have true culture and you have something that's unique and vital and something that contributes. Too often, the culture is based on an idea. The hipsters are a subculture within America who I can't help to laugh about when I think of them because, and I'm not saying that they're, they are wonderful, I have many hipster friends who are wonderful, good-hearted people. It's never the heart that's in question. It's never the heart of a human being that that is ever in doubt. It's what conception does to that heart. And if a culture is based off of a conceived notion, hearts can harden very fast and cultures can encourage that hardening. And that is a very unfortunate state. So, cultures are that mode of being, whoa, so, hipsters, <laughs> hipsters are the subset, this cultural subset within uh, modern American times, here in the very early goings of the 21st century, uh, that enjoy tattoos and piercings and very different types of art, um, mostly music, something that is away from the mainstream. They like to be so individualized uh, that I guess if I could target it, that that's what they are going against is, is uh, conformity. Like, like, 
almost all, like many subset, subsets of, of cultural subsets, is they're breaking out against the norm. Breaking out against what is, or has been dictated by society. But all of these quasi, these fox revolutions are very childish. They're very adolescent in nature. Because although the, although the adolescence movement is the most important or one of the most important in the maturation process. Um, and again, I'm not saying that the, the hipster movement or any subculture, subset of cultural movements are unimportant. Uh, because they are. They're actually often the linchpins which drive us to a new awareness. So they have a significant and interesting role <laughs> to play. However, it's just another telltale sign that a particular society is not where it needs to be. Um, it's not because there would need there would be no need for a societal revolution or changing uh, uh, of perspective if the proper perspective were already attained. If there was equal and fair treatment and lack of judgment and there was something that we we didn't need to progress we didn't need to evolve and this is if it's not already a centralized theme within this war it's about to be or it's about to be all the more central because that really is what's going on here is that we continue to feel the need to evolve and that's what subcultures are it's a going against the grain. It's something that's, you know, there's been a culture, a society, a societal way that's been given to us. And subcultures rally against that giving. They refute it, reject it, and this is where the adolescent way comes. Uh, they act. They act out against it, um, and often in unsophisticated uh, and uncouth kinds of ways, um, which is why uh, they're often so shunned, of course, by the larger majority, and certainly misunderstood. Um, but this is where often revolutions come from. So they, they play a very specific and often important role in the larger happening of what a culture is. But again, let's not forget that these roles would be unnecessary if society and if culture was where it needed to be in the first place. I wonder I have a hard time imagining too many subcultures within cultures. And I, I, I'm sure that there were some, but I would like to talk to an anthropologist, even though I question what they know, being that 
they are only the studiers of, not actual participants within a particular culture, but especially ancient ones that have long passed. But I, I, I really question and wonder if ancient societies or if Native Americans really had the kind of cultural uprisings, if they were really as necessary uh, with them as they are with us. And if not, or if so, regardless, why that would be. My guess is, just doing creative thinking, is that they were not in the kinds of situations, or their subcultures, or their revolutions were much less, or certainly took on a different tonality than the ones that we have. Um, but irrespective of that, subculture plays a significant role. Um, so, but it's also a, an immature one. Um, and, it, and its immaturities are probably no less than the immaturities and the underdeveloped nature of our society at large. It's just that because they are so uh, outstanding and that they're so detached from the pack, um, they're, it's a little easier to locate. And, and since they're fresher and not as well disguised, th those cultural, subcultural, I should say, um, faults, for lack of a better term, um, are, are all the more easier to spot. Um, and they are less difficult to uh, retaliate against, or to rally against, or just to push against in general. So, we need to see that uh, what culture is is a beautiful thing uh, until, of course, once again, conception grabs hold of it. This is, conception is just at the crux of all of this. <laughs> and cultures, again, can breed stereotypes, they can breed people, um, that are very particular, particularly one way or another. Um, but there's a reason for this. Um, and it's not necessarily a bad one. <sighs> so, it, it, but it, it's often when, when the conception is seated within that culture. <laughs> hello, hello. When the conception is seated within that culture, that's where we have problems and difficulties. Um, because what takes place 
is unnatural. Um, and it can impede upon it can impede upon the natural way of being within um, a culture within some an interaction a crescent interaction with reality a culture is a group again a mode if if a culture is a mode of human being conception is a mode of ideological thought again a culture can be pure pure human being itself but ideology comes from some other reification um, that is not necessarily particular to uh, an individual culture. That is, conceptualization, why, uh, if used properly, um, and we haven't even begun to talk about how to use conceptualization, how to reverse engineer conceptualization, that will be left to book two. But right now we're talking about all the pangs of conceptualization and how in its improper uses. But if conception is used properly, the beautiful thing about it is that it can transgress, it can cross all of these different um, cultures. If it's really a good idea, it's really a good way of being conscious, or good consciousness, then it has no problem uh, again transgressing any amount different every uh, of culture um, but where it becomes dangerous is when it influences a culture that was perfectly fine without that ideology when it's one when it's the ideology of one culture and that culture then begins ideologically or through war or whatever to dominate another culture then the cultures can blend and that can have some it can have some very good benefits um, some melding of the worldviews, but what true culture is is original human being, and that's what we're trying to get back to. That's what we're at least trying to salvage, if nothing else, is original human being, original interaction with humanity, and what humanity originally was were these very particular cultures. They're very beautiful. Very in touch. Very pure. But we can't have pure interaction, that pure cultural being, if we are 
infected by conceptualization. So, we need to root that out and regenerate our original culture, our original cultures, our original identities, our original ways of being with. But too often, what those cultures have now become is something which is identified with a way of thought. And the way of thought is detached from what that culture originally and really was and really is still. It's okay that we continue to have a variance of different cultures, of course. Um, we, we'd like to encourage that. <laughs> um, but, again, the real danger is the same, which is conceptualization. Um, going back to our questions of what is culture? We've said human, a mode of human being, um, and what has evolved into something that is beyond being, which is a way of human thought, a way of human approach, um, is, is cultures have been identified with that, because we've moved beyond um, a culture just being something locational. Uh, we've saturated you know, society has saturated itself in such a way that culture now means something different. I'm not going to say greater or more than what it once was, but something different now. Um, and being that this is the case, um, its approaches are often what defines it. Um, and its approaches are often informed by a way of perception, by a way of thinking and seeing, which are, of course, informed by beliefs and cultures themselves and conceptualization. And now we see how this begins to, to build, how the whole structure of conceptualization with every battle begins to build. So, um, culture, uh, when crossed uh, with conceptualization is something that's really apart from the being itself. It's very much, very much apart from the actual, just original being with. The conception uh, puts the gulf between, within caressence, within the being with. Conception removes the individual and the culture from its own being with. So then the culture or the individual turns inwardly and asks itself, 
what are we? What am I? What is this? What's our role? Um, we see many crises of society uh, at various points in history and um, often you know we fight those crises with another conceptualization with another idea which is just putting a band-aid on a gaping wound so if we're truly wounded we have to cleanse the wound and sew it and conceptualization disallows that happening um, or I should say but conceptualization disallows that happening culture sets the, sets the tone for human being again before we are born we are already within a culture and then that culture divides itself into subsets and subcategories based on conceptualization based on how it perceives the world you know you can be born into like myself an uh, Irish Italian uh, ethnicity which is <clears throat> their own which have their own ethnic cultures um, into the city of Chicago, which is, has its own culture, into a suburb, suburb <laughs> of Chicago, with its own set um, of cultures and perception, its own culture. And I was, lived in a particular part of town. Um, and we went to a particular school. <clears throat> because of the people there, because of their ideas and their perceptions and their modes of being had their own, uh, developed their own culture and passed that on to me. So, and then from there I went into academia, which has its own culture. So, a constant mode of cultural impression or in cultural constant cultural impressions uh, being placed upon the individual as they go through uh, their their own beings and something which can be dangerous um, but in the way that all of these things we're talking about are potentially dangerous, it, it also is very beautiful at the same time. Um, and maybe the amount of danger is relational to how seriously <laughs> it's taken, conceptually, how it's conceived, um, which is where I find humor with many of the subcultures is how serious they take themselves, how seriously like opposed to conformity they are. That's the adolescent portion of it, is that they're trying to go against the mode of being as it is. And now that's not necessarily a bad thing because of course that's what we're doing also, is we're going against the mode of being. And that's how revolutions happen, that's how change happens. But 
in that lies also the humor of the whole movement also. But something that is potentially dangerous within cultures, if misused or if taken too seriously, are certain, not all, but certain traditions. And what is a tradition? Well, a tradition is a particular practice of a culture. Um, and traditions, like all concept, like all uh, arms of conceptualization, will eventually flex, bend, and become something new, transform into something other than what they once were. But the tradition is a very specific operation within the culture. It's the carrying out, um, it's the, the acting out of the culture itself. Um, and that's where it's, it get, cultures can be, can be dangerous and they can be also beautiful. Um, at the same time, is in this actual praxis um, of culture, of this, of culture being something that is tied in, that is a, a mode of humanity tied into their relation to the world, um, and also their notion, notions and beliefs of the world. And notice how those are, I'm putting them as distinctive things because conceptualization, again, drives that gulf between actual caressant being with and, um, and how that world is perceived. Without conceptualization, the world is perceived in a very different and very beautiful, austere, perfect way. But it's when conceptualization influences it, and it goes off its own rails. And tradition is the, the carrying out, the practice of culture. And tradition has many difficulties. Um, because it clings to a certain time, it clings to a certain understanding, and because we're trapped within conceptualization, we are limited in what it is that we understand, often, uh, at, especially at the time that that particular practice, belief, tradition was put into play. Um, so that's where it can be dangerous, um, is, is the tradition, the traditional practices, um, can be, I mean, they can be beautiful also, they can be extremely, uh, dangerous because of people's attachments to them, and again, people are often attached to something because it gives them a mode of operationality within within being 
<laughs> scared me out to death. Within uh, phenomena, within the world itself, it, it provides them a certain sense of power. Um, so, um, tradition. is the practice of over and over again throughout time uh, and we I think can see why uh, that can be difficult when the rest of the world is evolving when consciousness is moving towards reality and it is inevitably it, it, ha it has I was going to say it has no choice, but conceptualization is what gives us the choice. Conceptualization is the enemy, but it also is necessary because it gives us the choice. So, We, since we need to choose, um, but we, we, we need to choose against conceptualization. Because um, conceptualization itself is a tradition. Um, conceptualization itself is the being without. <laughs> There's caressence is the being with, conceptualization is the being without. And, uh, we need to see that it is a tradition in and of itself. And it's one which needs to be eradicated and can be if we follow the prescriptions um, we, if we continue to fight in the ways that we're capable of and doing here um, then even though the necessity of conceptualization um, it might be in place so we have this freedom within our own being Again, we need to choose against that tradition and to start to formulate our own traditions. Um, a tradition devoid of concepts. Um, traditions which have only direct contact um, with reality. Um, because that will give us uh, our own culture. That will redefine what it is to be a human being. Um, and then we'll be free to create individual, individualized cultures which contribute to a new larger culture of humanity in general. In the modern world, we're so We're getting to be so close to one another. Um, 
in the West. Now, there are certain... I don't know. I've never been across the world, but I imagine that there are certain uh, very isolated groups still. Um, but the world is homogenizing. And that is a bad thing uh, if we're on the wrong track. <laughs> it's a great thing if we're on the right track, but I think all these different cultures and all these different perspectives, there's so much room for all of them. They're so necessary, all these different vantage points. Um, but if we look at what the important ones have said to us. I think we'll find out almost uniformly that they come to similar conclusions about what we are and about what we're supposed to be. Um, and why we are, and what we're really in touch with. <laughs> so, the different cultures, the different perspectives are necessary. Again, the problem with systemization is that one system, one concept, wants to invade the rest. Um, and this singular tradition um, in the modern world um, of sort of selfishness, greed, and that's not all that it's based on, but I mean, we're based, uh, we're a very capitalistic society. Those things uh, come out of a capitalistic mentality, but capitalism serves purposes also. It helps to motivate, helps to drive us. It's in place for a very particular reason. And this is not, you know, a rallying against capitalism per se, but only really against the way that we conceive of ourselves. And maybe we will decide after we've taken uh, a, a relook at ourselves that capitalism is not necessary um, or that a different form of it would be better suited for us. But we need to begin to create a new tradition um, because the current one is so laden with these concepts that are uh, impossible to survive with. So, we need to we need to address what comes next. What's the new culture? We need to set a goal And we need to see that 
what needs we need to see what needs to happen we need to understand that if we continue in the direction we're headed we're headed for ultimate doom uh, and I think we've talked about why uh, here in the in the uh, introduction within the first five or six chapters here um, and why a singular culture uh, well if we were to do a singular culture a singular ideology or belief that's clearly clearly horrible um, because it leaves no room for individualistic uh, uh, practice uh, for, for individualistic viewpoint an individualistic approach is approach itself it is the beauty of of approach it's it's the beauty of interaction and being with it is the way because the way is constantly it is reality one uh, xxx the way of reality xxx is constantly speaking to the particular it's the constant involvement with the objective the reality with the subject the intertwining of those two which we will get more into in what we call non-jectivity later later on uh, and what non-jectivity is is extremely important when uh, we go about the task of uh, uh, reoccupying um, after we've beaten back the conceptual, conceptualized army, the task of reoccupying, reforming what we have left, non-jectivity will play a centralized role in that. But for now, we have to ask, and we have to set our sights on what this new culture will be. And what comes out of our own of the, the, the stripping away of the bad habits of current culture. What comes out of that, what it reform, what it reshapes itself as, and what it will eventually be is something which allows for individuals interact directly with themselves and with the realities that they're up against. Cultures produce paradigms. These paradigms, like we said earlier, set the frame, set the tone for who we are as human beings and how we interact with the world. But we need to get back to original humanity.
to a culture which is stripped away of conceptualization, which is free to interact with the world that it has come to contact with. It's free from oppressive bonds that have been set up by the culture itself. We need to create openness. We need to create a culture of freedom where individuals are free to express themselves, to be. It's, it's individualistic utopia. Um, and in order to do that, we may need to strip away we, well, we do need to strip away certain harmful aspects of culture. And what those harmful aspects are, are going to be painful for some people. And it's, it's going to cause the division um, within the households that we spoke of earlier. But it's not because of a lack of respect for a particular culture or for the individuals who perpetuate them. It's quite the opposite. It's because we respect human being itself so much that we want it to flourish. We want it to achieve its potential, a potential that I don't think we're even quite aware of, being that we're so burdened by so many cultural expectations, which are not really cultural, which are again masked by belief and culture, but are really individualized cultures' way of cultures' ways of dealing with conceptualization itself. Again, the first the introduction has set up the language, the new language for the rest of this war. We're seeking caressence. We're seeking reconnection. The original word of religion, religio, relinkage. That's what we're doing. We are creating a, a religion, but not the religion of old language, a religion of new language, a reconnection. And we want to reculture humanity, repopulate it within itself, not with new human beings, but new human being. And this is possible, very possible. But we need to rid ourselves of so many difficulties within the parameters of culturalization. We need to set up human being that is free to define itself for what it is at that time. Cultures, traditions, when blended with idea, ideology, 
hold on to a very particular mode of being in a very particular time. Again, cultures come out of time with. Time with. They are fostered by that time. And they breed mirrors, which in turn doubly reflect what that culture is and perpetuate the traditions within it. There, I truly cannot say this. This, this truly cannot be said enough. I always try to take the I, I, I just did it, try to take the I out of it, because we're talking not as individuals here, we're talking as consciousness itself. But we can truly not say what it is enough, which is that culture is beautiful. But it's that bondage to culture as it was, which can get us into trouble. I'm sorry to say it, but it really can get us into trouble. We want to be able to have culture, if we are moving on to something more, to move with us. There are certain structures within culture that do make for that allowance. They have to, of course, because time marches on. Reality marches on. And culture is really a subset within reality, is what it actually is. So, of course, it will change with time, with, with the movement of reality itself. But we have to be foster, fostering of that change while preserving the culture itself. Because again, it's not the culture that's the enemy. The culture is beauty. It's true human motion and interaction with. The culture is not the enemy. It's the attachment to that is always the enemy. The culture is gorgeous. The culture can be drawn from much more so than it is today. We need to respect culture as it was, as it is. But part of that respecting of it means that we need to nourish it into the future as well. And we need to do that devoid of the concepts which bring it down. We need to find the commonalities and the differences. We need to simply observe them. We need to see what they are. Because without them, we have something that we think it is 
but not what it is truly. Because we often see only difference with different culture. So we need to see the relatability. And then we need to turn that relatability into something which fosters its own individuality and sustains and perpetuates that individuality. We need to take, we need to do, make some tough choices with culture, with tradition. We need to look at it as objectively as possible. And that's what we're set, setting ourselves up to do, is to have a more objective eye. We can never maybe be completely objective, and that's okay. Because we are subjects, and this again relates back to non-objectivity, this blending of subjectivity and objectivity. It creates a non-objectivity, and I think it's good to bring up here because cultures, thats what, this is what we need to do with cultures. We need to make the tough choices. We need to strip away the things that are no longer useful within it, whatever that culture is, while at the same time preserving those things which can really be of use to humanity, which can really be helpful to the way that we will live in the future. That is the true, the true and necessary function of what we're doing here. We need uh, to begin to gain the perspective of objectivity as subjects. Realize that we are subjects and take the best of both and move forward with it. That's what has to happen with culture. We need to look at it objectively with the very with various cultures and with culture in general because all the cultures are really moving towards one thing. I mean they I think that they really were initially originally one thing. I think we can unequivocally say that is that of course if we believe that humanity sprouted from a singular happening, of course it had a singular culture. But we're also reverting to a singular culture. And I don't mean just that we're becoming so modernized that we're becoming the same. There is that aspect of it. But what's more important is that the concepts really aren't what's important. It's the way that we live that's important. And that's what cultures are. The way that we live. So the way that we are human all comes down to the same culture 
of being human. And we have to maybe take a real hard look at what that is, or what we want that to be. Because there are certain aspects of it right now that are divisive, that are attached to concepts that just won't work. So we need to strip those away and change them. And we need to do that is what we are doing with this war. And that is why it's so important that we fight it. And that is why we fight on. Because we need to recreate the culture of being human. Reinstantiate the tradition of original humanity that common thread that we all are needs to be pulled on and clung to. But we also simply need to see the value of the different uh, cultural ways of being and those perspectives and begin to take conceptualization away and insert being with into it then we would have a true culture then we would have something that we could build a foundation on Until that happens, we need to try very carefully within our cultures and our traditions. And we need to begin like we do with all anything which is improper sickness. We need to simply observe it. That's, that's the, the first thing to be done is realize. We realize that's the first step. In any sickness, we have to realize first that we are sick and we do something about it. So we have to realize the problem.